It's great to be back. Uh, I want to say good morning to you and uh, peace and gr grace and peace to you from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and also greet you from all the saints at my home church, Bethel uh, Presbyterian Church and North Texas Presbytery, of which I am a member. And, uh, you know, it's been two years since I've had the pleasure of worshiping with you and bringing the word here at Grace, Community, uh, Grace Redeemer Community Church, and what a two years it has been since last I was here. You think about the greatness of God and all that we have gone through. Um, it's, it's really great to be back and to see so many uh, familiar faces and to worship with you. I'm delighted to see how the Lord has blessed you and, uh, and has kept you in his, his grace during that time. And just want you to know that I pray that God will continue to magnify himself and to magnify Christ through you, through this church, and through the love that you have for one another in this body. I know that you love well so much that I have my mom and dad here today. Uh, and then I have two couples that are friends of mine that live in the neighborhood. And when they found out I was preaching nearby, they said, we'd love to come. I said, well, you'd, you'd love coming to visit here and to worship with us together. So this morning I want to proclaim the grace of God to you through the Proverbs. That's not an easy task for different reasons, but I hope that you will see God's grace shine forth from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. That's the text for the sermon this morning. However, before we turn there, I want to share with you all an incredible story that recently unfolded at my home church. There's a, a young couple, Jeff and Megan are their names, and they uh, got married a few weekends ago. And all weddings are wondrous celebrations when two people are brought together, united in the bond of marriage before the Lord. But this wedding was even more wondrous. When the father of the bride and groom gave their toasts, uh, they both shared incredible testimonies of God's faithfulness to Jeff and Megan and their families. Some of those things I was aware of. I knew that they had known each other. They grew up together in this church. Um, it's not uncommon, but it's certainly rare that uh, men and women who grow up in the same church actually, especially if it's a small church, actually get married. And uh, I knew that in their path in life, they had searched all the world over looking for a godly spouse only to find each other right under their noses. Um, but what made their story even more incredible is how their grandparents, uh, for, for each, the bride and the groom, the grandparents had become friends decades earlier in a completely different part of the country. They met each other and raised their kids together in a church, worshiping together in New Jersey. Okay. Then one of the children from, the, from those two original families Larry is uh, the father of the bride. Larry and his wife, Jan, moved to Dallas first. And a few years after that, Bob and Gay, the parents of the groom, came to Dallas, had been transferred there, had kind of lost track of Larry and Jan. But they walked through the doors of Bethel Church, and the first people to greet them were Larry and Jan, people that they had grown up with listening to these incredible stories, we could all clearly see that the Lord had been directing the steps of this couple, Jeff and Megan, to be joined in marriage. We could see it stretching all the way back 
The father had a pathway for them whose steps began even before their own parents were born. It's pretty mind-blowing to think about, isn't it? Even still, Jeff and Megan were completely unaware of this until the last few years. A path that began in the days of their grandparents led to their union, a glorious work of God that has unfolded before our very eyes. And it's wonderful as a pastor to point that out to people. We talk about how great is our God. I'm sure many of you also have stories that are similar. God directing your steps in ways that are incredible. So our text today deals with this truth that God is directing our steps in a path that he has ordained for us. We may not always be clear about that path. We may not always clearly see that or even begin to understand it, but he is doing that. He is directing your steps and mine. We use the term providence to describe God's ordained will for all things, including our lives. The Westminster Confession of Faith defines, defines providence this way. God, the great creator of all things, upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures, all actions, and all things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. There's a lot there. We're not going to unpack that whole statement, but we're going to go to Proverbs 16.9 now and see that this is a foundational text for this truth, and it has been used by the Lord to help me understand his providence in my life over and over again. In studying the text, we'll look at three things. We'll look at our planning within the midst of God's providence. Then we'll turn to the common experience that as God is directing our steps, there are unexpected outcomes, things that happen that we had not thought would happen. And finally, we'll see how the heart of God is revealed to us through the steps of our Savior. We'll look at the, the, the steps that God ordained for Jesus in the end. Let's read now Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Join me in prayer now. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for today. And according to this text, we are all here because of you. Whatever we had planned weeks ago or even this morning has been shaped and fashioned, persuaded, changed at times to bring us to the place where we sit under the word of God, and by the Holy Spirit, we can receive your words, not the words of the preacher, but as Paul said to the Thessalonians, that we receive the word that is preached for what it really is, the words of God. And we pray, Lord, that even if we can't fully understand your providence, how you ordain all things in our lives to bring about your glory, we can trust that you are directing our steps and begin to see those steps leading us, leading us in a true direction towards Jesus. Help us to see him lifted up today. And as he is lifted up, may he, by his spirit, draw us all in faith and obedience to him. And it's in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Our plans and our steps. This is one of my favorite Proverbs. 
the Lord has used it in my life time and time again to reveal himself to me. And in the next section, I'll share why it has become so dear to me. But first, let's look at its constituent parts. There are two statements in this proverb that are meant to be related together. The first statement makes an observation about our human experience that we all make plans for our lives. When we think about God's providence, we think about what God is doing, we might be tempted to think, well, it doesn't matter what I do. If God is directing my steps, I'll get there eventually. (laughs) Uh, But that's not what the scriptures teach us. They teach us that in worshiping God, being faithful to him, that we are also to plan and prepare. The word word of God encourages us to make plans. Consider one other proverb, Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8, where the industry and planning of the ant is shown to us as a model for living. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, no officer, no ruler, she prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Even the lowly ant does not need a ruler a master to force her to plan and prepare for what's coming. That lowly creature knows that the planning, that planning for the needs of winter begins in summer and harvest. Also consider the words of Christ from Luke chapter 14. He says, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough resources to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, All who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Here, Jesus does not condemn planning, but rather endorses it. So human planning is not wrong. We need to think about the direction of our lives and make plans. We're called to anticipate the needs that lie ahead and plan for the resources and opportunities God gives us to provide for our own needs, as well as the needs for those around us that we would share out of the goodness that God has given us to others around us. But the problem comes when we make too much of our plans. Having considered all the needs and studied the resources we have, we can put too much stock into what we will accomplish with our plans. Even worse, we begin to trust in our plans in a way that God never intended. Hear this warning from James chapter 4. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So this person in this example given by James, he has a plan. They're going to go to this city. They're going to engage in businesses. They're taking resources. They have things that they want to accomplish. But he warns us because having made our plans and even prayed over our plans, we are all far too willing to trust the plan rather than trust the Lord. Our plans can so easily become idols to us because we want the Lord to endorse the plans that we make and make sure that the outcomes we desire are accomplished, and it's without regard to what he has planned for us. And herein lies the first observation. We make our plans, and that is a good thing to do, but keep in mind James' warning 
that the Lord has a will, and it may be contrary to the outcome that you're planning for. This is where unexpected outcomes can so powerfully teach us the second statement. The mind of a man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. Let's turn now to unexpected outcomes. I mentioned earlier this is one of my favorites. I want to tell you now why. I first came to learn this proverb in a very clear and painful way. Because, you see, I had a plan. I want to tell you a little bit about the plan that I had. When I was 25, I was finishing my dental training, and uh, I had asked a woman that I'd been dating to marry me. This person was a believer. It's good. She wanted to serve Christ with her life. Also good. She was interested in a life of missionary work, like me. Very good. That's not a bad plan on the surface. But what I couldn't see in my own heart was that I had begun to make the plan and that relationship an idol. I had read Proverbs 16.9 before. I was very familiar with that proverb, but I had made a small error in my interpretation. I read it this way. The mind of a man makes his plans and the Lord directs his steps. You see how just changing one little word can change the meaning. In this slightly corrupted version, the role of the Lord is to carefully guide the steps of the planner to achieve the outcome he desires. I've made my plan. I just need God to guide my steps to make that plan come together. I falsely concluded that my plan, so long as they were not obviously sinful, they were not contradictory to God's revealed will, as long as they weren't that, then they were likely to work out as expected with God's approval. In a sense, I wanted the Lord to co-sign my plans. I'd never truly considered that he had a different direction planned for me. And while I was barreling down the path of my plan, this other person came to see her path leading in a different direction than our marriage and broke off our engagement. At that moment, everything that I had dreamed about and come to love about my plans was suddenly gone. I was confused and hurt. I cried out to God, where are you? And through the pain and tears, I could not see what the Lord was doing. However, this was the first time that I read Proverbs 16, 9 correctly. That the mind of a man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. And I could see the contrast in the text far more clearly because my steps were leading away in the complete opposite direction from the plans that I had made. This was an unexpected and unwanted outcome, but it became very clear to me that the Lord was directing my steps. As much as I tried to rebuild and resurrect the plan, and I hate to say it, but I wasted a lot of time and prayer on that, all my efforts failed. This is what happens to our idols when they come into the presence of Christ. Like the, like the idol of Dagon, they fall over and break into so many pieces that thankfully they can never be rebuilt again. Now you remember Dagon, don't you? Does anybody remember Dagon? This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You've got to look this up. 1 Samuel 4 through 6. I make a great Bible study this evening, this afternoon. 1 Samuel chapter 4 through 6. So the story starts this way. The children of Israel, they want to go into battle. And they'd gone into battle before, and when they went before, they took the Ark of the Covenant with them. And that meant that God's presence went with them. And if God went with them into battle, they would win. Right? 
Now, God had not instructed them to go into battle. He did not send a prophet to say it's time to go into battle, get the Ark of the Covenant. They just showed up one day at the tabernacle and they said, we need the God box because we're going to war. You got that in there? Yeah, okay, we're just going to borrow it. We're going to bring it back. We'll take care of it. But since we go to war with the God box, that's what we need. That's what they did. They took the Ark of the Covenant as a token of deliverance without the will of the deliverer. And of course, what happened was that they lost the battle. The ark was captured. And the Philistines took the God box to their temple. And they set it down in front of Dagon. What that represented to them was that our God, Dagon, is more powerful than Yahweh. And having defeated Yahweh's people in battle, we have defeated that God. And now his token is at the feet of our God as a trophy. Our God is victorious. Well, that evening, Dagon fell over on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. And when they came in the morning, they said, well, that's not right. Our God doesn't bow to Yahweh. Let's put him back on his pedestal, which they did. And the second night, Dagon fell again. And this time, his head and his arms were broken off. Amen? Amen. So is the outcome for all idols before the Lord. They either bow before him and his authority, or thankfully and gracefully, they are destroyed. I'll never forget that day when in the quiet of my own heart I prayed, Lord, my plans have failed, but I can see my steps heading in another direction. Help me to trust you and seek to understand not my plans, but your plans for me. Have you experienced unexpected outcomes? Have you seen your plans fail spectacularly? Have you noticed your steps leading off into other directions that you had never planned? I want you to know that these are holy moments. God is revealing himself to you through them. Sadly, this is where many turn away. As a pastor, I spend a great deal of my counseling time dealing with unmet expectations that people have for the Lord. They're often hurt and confused. They're angry because their plans have failed. They say things like, this isn't the marriage that I signed up for. Or my children are a real disappointment. Or my career is a dead end and a daily drudgery. Or my health has failed me far earlier than I had wanted or expected. In so many arenas of life, and often in all of the arenas of life, our plans come to nothing. Yet this is a critical moment where we can begin to consider the Lord is directing our steps. You're not alone. I want you to know and consider the lives of God's people as we look into his scriptures. You're not the only one to experience this moment. Think about it. Abraham was promised the lands of his sojourning, but only had a small plot in which to bury his wife at the end of his life. Unexpected outcomes. He was promised a son, but didn't receive one until he and his wife were beyond their childbearing years. Joseph was told in a vision that he would rule over his family, but he was sold into slavery and ended up in prison. Moses understood early that he was a deliverer of his people, but they rejected him and he had to flee to Midian. 
David was anointed as king by the prophet Samuel, but spent many years of his life being hunted by Saul as a fugitive. Elijah witnessed a great victory at Mount Carmel, but his people did not remove their idols and return to the Lord, even though they'd seen God's great power. What did he do? He had to flee into the wilderness to escape arrest and execution. Jeremiah was told to go preach to his people, and he was a weeping prophet because they never responded to his ministry. In the New Testament, every one of the 12 disciples, as far as we know, were martyred for Christ. Consider the words that Jesus said to Peter in John 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to clothe yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you, bring you where you do not wish to go. Steps leading in a different direction. Now this Jesus said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would die to glorify God. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Are you willing to follow him? Even if your steps run counter to your plans? Know this, that even if we can't see the, the path that he has for us, that he does have a plan and he's working it out. And it often includes unexpected outcomes. And in many ways, it's, it should be for the believer an expected, unexpected outcome, because it's so common that that occurs in your life and in mine. It's unexpected in the short term. We didn't see it coming, but it is the contour of the, of the life of a person who follows Jesus, and we'll see why in a minute. This is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And that starts to kind of give definition to what does it mean by God directing our steps. It's just not just taking us in a certain direction to go through certain experiences, many of which could be confusing, we not understand. It's to help us to know that the plan of God, the one who began the good work, is to perfect you, to perfect me until the day that Christ returns. He will achieve his expected outcome, our perfection in Jesus Christ. Yet it's not enough to know that God is directing our steps. We have to be confident to know that the steps are being directed towards Christ and his life. At our home church, our senior pastor is preaching through the Proverbs this summer. He's done an incredible job teaching us that the Proverbs can make a wise person grow in their wisdom, but they cannot change our heart's desire for the wisdom of God. It's because of this that we need Christ and what only he can provide in the gospel. If you've never heard that before, I just want to point out that Solomon, who wrote so many of the Proverbs, himself had difficulty following what he had written. If you know the end of his life, it ended in foolishness and idolatry. We need someone greater than Solomon. We need the wisest man who ever lived, the Lord Jesus. So relating this truth to Proverbs 16.9, I can say this, that I can stop making plans that diverge from the steps God is directing me in. I often want to go my own way. And as soon as one plan fails, I'm off to making a new plan, a new idol. I need to be rescued from my idolatrous plans. 
And in the midst of the debris of broken dreams, I need to see the grace of God as it is revealed in the steps of the Savior. And that's where we're going to turn now. What do we see when we see the Father directing the steps of Jesus? Jesus, as Paul says, is the true wisdom of God who came to fulfill the plans of the Father for our redemption. God the Father had a plan for Jesus, and he was directing the steps of the Savior. Where did his steps go? His steps were directed in perfect obedience to God's law and led ultimately to the cross. Jesus never made plans to go his own way, to diverge from God's path for him. And the cross, though terrible, was not an unexpected outcome. It wasn't a surprise to Jesus. What did he say long before the crucifixion in Mark 10.45? He said, Even the Son of, of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But to the cross, excuse me, even though it was not unexpected, it was unwanted. The path to the cross was difficult, and Jesus knew that. He fully knew the cost of fulfilling God's plan for us. This is his prayer in the garden the night before he died. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. In Christ, we see the steps of the Savior being perfectly directed by God to a place where payment was made for our sinful plans. For all your idols and for mine, Jesus laid down his life. In him, we can find forgiveness and cleansing and new life, as well as a new direction for our steps. In Jesus, we can confidently trust that despite our circumstances, God still loves us. And when we cannot see the path, we can know that he is even still directing our steps to Christ where we find that forgiveness, that healing, and that new path. Turning back to what many people struggle with, this is how we can have a new perspective on the unexpected outcomes in our life. We might say this, in Christ we find a true spouse who loves us perfectly and gives us a love for our husband or wife, not because of who they are, but because of the love that we have received from him. In Christ, we find the forgiveness and grace of a father that we need as his wayward children. In receiving his grace, we can then turn to our own children and point them mercifully to Jesus. In Christ, we observe his faithful work for our redemption. In him, we can find meaning in our daily tasks, whatever they may be, because we're doing the work unto him and for his glory. In Christ, all the unexpected outcomes lead us to see that he will never forsake us, but is directing our steps to love him above all things and to learn to rest in his providence. And like Jesus, we begin to pray, not my plans, Father, but yours be done. Lead me in the path towards Christ. Direct my steps 
daily towards him. I trust you because your love is perfect and perfectly revealed in the path that Jesus walked for me. In conclusion, the ministry of a pastor and an elder is to serve you by walking with you in the path that the Lord is directing you in. This means, and I think I can speak for Bob and the elders here, I was certainly speaking for our elders earlier when I preached the sermon, that we desire your steps to be directed by the Lord. And we also desire your plans to follow his leading. We pray that you will come to know and love the Lord Jesus as we ought to from his word. So don't be surprised if your pastors, your elders ask you, how is the Lord using your broken plans to reveal the Savior to you? Have you ever considered that? It's hard to consider that, but it is the most critical question we need to ask when our steps lead off in a different different direction. We all have many unexpected outcomes that, that lie ahead from today. You do, and so do I. Will you receive them as God directing your steps towards the Savior? Even if they lead you to a place that would otherwise, that you would otherwise avoid at all costs. Listen to Peter's reminder from the end of his life. This is what Peter said. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Let me put that in the new Lee translation. Don't be surprised by unexpected outcomes. The Lord is directing your steps. Peter continues. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and God, the glory of God rests upon you. But make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. What name? The name of Jesus, the one who is directing our steps towards himself. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Great and good Father, we come humbly before you today. We thank you for a word that illuminates our lives in times of great difficulty and pain, swirling darkness of grief and sorrow. And even in that time, there's a little light that says, the steps keep going, and they're leading towards Jesus. I don't know the burdens, Lord, that are being carried this morning here, but you do. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, and I thank you, Lord, for this encouragement from Proverbs, from Peter, from Jesus himself, from Genesis to Revelation, that you have begun a good work in us, and you will bring that to completion. And from the beginning to the end, our steps are ordained by you. Some of those steps lead through sorrow, even the valley of the shadow of death. But we will not be afraid because 
You're with us, and you're leading our steps. Help us to grow in understanding deeply your great love for us, that love that is shown clearly in the person of Jesus, who was willing, thankfully, to lay down his will, to have his steps be directed by the Father to the cross. And even as they were directed, he took every one of those steps. He didn't flag. He didn't hesitate. He kept walking in obedience, trusting you, that you would deliver him. And you did. As we look upon him, we pray that you would help us to trust you as well. That wherever our steps lead, we know that you're leading us to Christ, making us more like him, preparing us to be with you in your presence forever. And we can lay down our plans before you and say, if you will, perhaps these things are pleasing to you. Bring them about. But if not, let your will be done and not our own. Help us, Lord, to live that way. By the grace of Jesus and by his Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.